Hi, this is Billy Sands. When I want to spice up my barbecue, I always listen to Chris and Case on the Detroit Lions broadcast show. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Your Detroit Lions and Reddit connection. And now, two guys who have never dropped a Matthew Stafford pass. And now for something completely different. Heidi ho Lions fans. Chris Case and Jeff are all taking the week off. So instead of getting me, Ash Thompson. I get mentioned on the show once in a while. I'm the draftness guy here on the site. I used to be the site expert for DetroitJockCity.com. I also wrote for NFL Spin Zone for a while. I decided I didn't really have the time to do this full-time, and Chris has always been really cool about working around my schedule. So, here I am. I still drop articles occasionally on the site, and pinch hit every once in a while for the crew as an editor. I don't really do much on Twitter anymore, so there's no point in following me, but you should follow at Detroit Lions Podcast, where you'll get everything I put out, along with all of the other articles and podcast episodes that come out on the site. Today, I'm going to do a quick position-by-position rundown of the team's roster changes this offseason, just in case you haven't been paying rapt attention every single day for the entire offseason. Just a heads up though, I'm only going to be talking about guys I think might actually make the 53-man roster, because frankly, I don't want to waste your time or mine talking about guys that are going to get cut next week anyway. If this is your first listen to the Detroit Lions podcast, uh, go back a couple episodes and listen to the guys. Uh, This isn't how it usually sounds, this isn't how it usually runs. There's three very talented people who normally do this week in and week out, they just didn't have the time this week, so you got me. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is that you subscribe to your podcasts. Give the boys the five-star review they deserve. This is usually the best Lions podcast going. If you have any negative feedback, however, uh, don't post a review. Just go to the subreddit, give the guys the feedback directly, and they'll change the show, quite likely in a way that makes you happier. For example, that would be where you should go tell them to never let me do this again. Or if you'd like to tell me I suck directly, you can give the guys a dollar a month on Patreon, and that gets you access to the best Lions chat on the internet. Special thanks, of course, goes to Dylan from Guam and all of the guys I get to talk to about the Lions every single day, including our first owner, Mathis. I don't recall Brian from I Prevail ever being in the chat. To get in on that, you just go to patreon.com slash Detroit Lions podcast and sign up to give the guys as little as a dollar a month. Loud noises, loud noises. Let's get started. We'll start with quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford's back, despite all the haters saying he shouldn't be. Even a broken back wasn't able to sideline him in 2018. The rest of the depth chart is largely irrelevant, so of course, I'm going to go into it. Tom Savage might be the best backup quarterback the Lions have had since the Millen era when they had Josh McCown. For reasons we'll never know, they started John Kitna anyway. For multiple seasons. Is that a high bar? No, God no, absolutely not. But it's a good thing for the team. Savage isn't going to challenge the Lions starter. He's no threat to Stafford. But if Stafford hurts his hand and the team is up 14 points in the third quarter, he might be able to get through the game without losing it if they can protect him. You can't say that about Matt Castle, Dan Orlovsky, Jake Rudock, by Felicia, the Cowboys quarterback coach Thad Lewis, Drew Stanton, or Zach Robinson. You could argue that Sean Hill was a better option, and you know what, I probably wouldn't knife fight you in an alley over it, but I think Savage is a better player. Now for the elephant in the room. Matt Stafford doesn't miss games. He's ended the year playing poorly. For most of the last few seasons, though, the Lions offense is primed to run the ball to set up the deep passing game. Deep passing puts a quarterback with a history of getting banged up in more danger, which really puts a lot of pressure on the Lions offensive line. The Lions quarterback situation has improved, but it's not going to matter. Savage isn't going to play. So where we'll head next is the offensive line. 
The Lions are essentially returning the same group they had at the end of last season and just shuffling them around a little bit. Lions fans seem to be under the impression that because Stafford got hurt, the pass blocking was terrible, but Stafford got hit about the average number of times last year. The Lions' pass blocking was actually ranked 12th by football outsiders. They allowed one more sack than the NFL average. Where they did have issues was in run blocking, where they were near the bottom of the league in pretty much every category tracked on any website. Basically, from last season, the team has swapped out an injured TJ Lang for a healthy Ode Abushi. That's not really an upgrade, because neither of them are on the field, but it's nice to have Abushi rather than someone who's continuously laid up, unfortunately. We all love TJ Lang, he was just never healthy. The Lions are relying on two things to make the offensive line better. First, the passage of time. Ragnall's not a rookie anymore. Taylor Decker and Graham Glasgow are still in the rookie contract, so it's possible that just by getting a year older, three out of five of the Lions' offensive line might improve. Second, the play calling and play design is likely going to be far better. Daryl Bevel is unquestionably a better offensive coordinator than Jim Bob Cooter was. He has a track record that speaks for itself. The final resurgence of Brett Favre with the Vikings happened under Bevel's watch. Russell Wilson's development from rookie to superstar happened under Bevel's watch. He has a reputation for running the ball, but the Seahawks' offense was definitely a passing offense in Bevel's last couple seasons because they didn't have the talent to run the ball properly. He can run whatever he needs to to utilize the players that he has. He just didn't have enough firepower at the skill positions to get it done, and that's what got him fired. So what do the Lions have at the skill positions for Bevel to work with? We'll start at Lynch's position and uh, go over to the running backs. Carryon Johnson has the skills to be a three-down stud running back in the NFL. The only issue with Carryon is whether or not he can stay healthy. He was injured most of his senior year in college, but he played through those injuries chasing a national championship with Auburn. While that speaks well of him that he did that, you have to wonder what the toll it took on him. Carryon ended the year on IR, but he could have returned if the season hadn't essentially been over at the point where he was able to do so. The team shut him down instead. It was the end of a long grind for Johnson, with that extended senior season going into the offseason for draft preparation, then immediately starting minicamps, OTAs, training camp, and then the longest season he's ever played of football. It's understandable that he had some injury issues as a rookie. The Lions' backup plan last year was trash. Luckily, C.J. Anderson is a much better backup plan than the husk of LeGarrette Blount. Anderson has made a career of being the guy that starts 7-9 games and gets between 700 and 1,000 rushing yards for his team. Last year, he came to Carolina out of shape and got cut before joining the Rams and stepping into an injured Todd Gurley's role with a great deal of success at the end of the year. He's probably not going to give the Lions a Pro Bowl performance, but he's a legitimate NFL talent still in his prime. Zach Zenner. No, I'm not going to insert that drop in here. But you should consider attending Zach Zenner Day at training camp. It sounds like it's going to be fun. Back to the player. Zach Zenner is a solid third option running the ball. He gets the tough yards and gets what the blocking gives, if not a whole bunch more. Zenner also plays a lot of special teams, which is always good for a guy trying to be the third running back. Theoretic's a passing down specialist, but in terms of running efficiency, he also had his best season in 2018. He didn't get a lot of carries, and I really do believe that if his workload went up, his efficiency would have gone down. But Riddick is who he is. I'm just not sure he makes the team this year. Both Johnson and Anderson are decent in the passing game, particularly as blockers, so the need for a specialist who doesn't contribute on special teams isn't really that high. Ty Johnson, a rookie this year, is a power runner with some significant explosion in his legs. Unlike Riddick, he's super fast, running between 4.26 and 4.34 in the 40-yard dash at this Maryland Pro Day, depending on which scout you asked. Either way, that's a world-class speed, and Bevel, or more likely special teams coordinator John Bonamego, will find a way to use that kid. He's far from just a track star, though. He also put up 29 reps in the bench press. It's not a test that matters, but it does speak to how much effort the kid's going to put in, and special teams coaches love high-effort guys. Nick Bowden's kind of the forgotten man. Uh, Bevel does typically use a fullback. Bowden is the only one on the roster. He's probably going to make the team. With that said, there are likely 10 guys sitting on their couch right now that could have been starters at the position if they were born 20 years earlier. 
I think Bowden is the future of the fullback position in the NFL, though. He's less of a hooking brute than the position might make you believe. He's a more cerebral player with legitimate NFL-caliber athleticism. He started his career in college as a quarterback, put on the weight to get on the field. I'll take five former quarterbacks on my 53-man roster every single time. They just study the game harder than other players do by the nature of their original position. They see more of what the defense is going to do pre-snap than most skill position guys ever will. Let's move over to the wide receivers. Marvin Jones is a reasonably big, reasonably fast receiver with good hands who makes a living off contested catches. Kenny Galladay is a bigger, bit slower Makes his living off contested catches. Draft pick, Travis Fulgham has the size of Marvin Jones and the speed of Kenny Galladay, and he'll make his living in the NFL off contested catches. But hey, he was a late-round pick. He's got a reputation as a great run blocker, which speaks well to his potential cover and kicks, and again, John Bonamego is probably going to choose that guy to make his team because he's going to make plays. They've got that archetype covered. What they added in the offseason is a couple of veterans that do something different. Whereas those guys are deep threat outside guys, Danny Amendola is a guy who creates separation underneath and gets cheap first downs. Jermaine Curse runs patterns exactly as they're drawn up, and he's willing to get destroyed in the middle of the field to get a team a cheap first down. Neither of those guys is going to spend a lot of time on highlight reels, but that 100-yard mirage Brandon Powell put up against the Packers last year, those plays are how these guys are going to make a living. That's your five-deep receiver group for week one, barring injury, in my opinion. I would bet money that either Curse or Amendola get banged up, though. Uh, so watch the team's kick coverage to see which of the remaining guys make the team. Powell is a third underneath option in the passing game, and he returns the ball well. So if they kept a sixth guy, that's my pick. Go to DetroitLionsPodcast.com and click on the merch store. Buy awesome shirts. Now to the tight ends. There's no position where the Lions improve more than a tight end. It's not even close. Jesse James is a best-case scenario for a number two tight end. He blocks well, and if a team doesn't cover him, he can break a defense. I'm going to keep using the words cheap and easy first downs because that's the Lions' theme offensively in the passing game. It's picking up guys who will get those. Speaking of cheap and easy, go to fanatics.com slash Detroit Lions podcast for all your team gear. The Lions' first round pick was TJ Hawkinson. I love the player. I hate the positional value that high in the draft. Both of those things can be true. Three years from now, he's going to be everyone's favorite offensive player outside Stafford. The reason is going to be the continual supply of cheap and easy first downs he is going to get this team. Logan Thomas is an interesting third tight end. He's also a former quarterback and an intriguing athlete. He could be a very useful player relative to his roster spot. And I'm calling right now, there will be one TD pass to Stafford over the course of a 16-game season from Logan Thomas. So what does that mean for the offense? Well, wide receiver got better. Tight end got better. Running back got better. The offensive line is the same. The quarterback is the same. The quarterback and the offensive line were not the problem last year. The most important addition, though, is Bevel. He's going to put all of these players in position to succeed, something that Jim Bob Cooter was never capable of doing. It wasn't Theoretic's fault he was getting the ball up the middle on first down in 2017. It wasn't LeGarrette Blount's fault that Jim Bob Cooter kept giving him delayed handoffs up the middle on first down in 2018. Neither of those things are plays in which the player in question is capable of succeeding in the NFL. The primary thing holding the offense back was the man with his hand on the wheel. And there's no question the team has leapt forward there. Something, something, I don't know, like black rifle coffee maybe? Something, yeah. On to the defense, and we're starting in my favorite position, defensive tackle. The Lions may have the most effective pair of defensive tackles at doing what the team will actually ask them to do. None of these guys are going to get eight sacks, but that's not their job. I kept reading all offseason that the Lions need to pick up a gap-shooting defensive tackle like Ed Oliver, but repeat after me. That is not what the Detroit Lions defensive linemen do. If you want to complain about the positional value of tight ends, please don't also be the guy complaining that the Lions didn't take a player that does something that the defense will only do on about 10% of snaps. The Detroit Lions tackles plug two gaps against the run, and they push the offensive line backward into the pocket on passing plays. That's their job. That's their function within this defense. 
The Lions need a group that are big, strong men. They're going to do some stunting, but it's not the defensive tackle they're trying to get to the quarterback when they do that. The defensive tackle becomes essentially an offensive lineman trying to create a hole for the defensive end or linebacker who's looping into his gap. Snacks Harrison is the best run-stopping defensive tackle in the NFL. He deserves more money than he's making. Let's just be absolutely clear on that. Uh, But at the same time, if I'm Bob Quinn, the relatively low cap hit for the rest of his contract is a sizable portion of why I traded for him last year. From a cold business perspective, it's not a good play to give him more money. He deserves more money, but the Lions shouldn't give it to him. Both of those things can be true. He's not going to sit at home for the year. He's too old for that to ever pay off. Shuffling some of next year's money into this year as a signing bonus might be a reasonable compromise. Uh, Hopefully they can get something figured out, but even if Snacks doesn't show up until day one of the regular season, he's going to be ready to play. Ashawn Robinson finally broke out after Snacks came aboard last year. This is the defensive tackle that they need to be working on a new contract with. If both were under contract for a reasonable number for the next three years, the future would look bright for the Detroit Lions' defense up the middle. The Patricia defensive scheme is tailor-made for Robinson's skill set as much as it is for Snacks. Rookie P.J. Johnson is a big, strong man who looks like the kind of player who will fit right into that group. If the Lions' number four defensive tackle is not Johnson, he's not on the roster right now. And that's why the Lions are still meeting with players like D'Amato Pico. He may not be. Deshaun Hand, of course, is going to bounce between the defensive end spot and three-man fronts and the defensive tackle spot when the team's in four-man fronts. He's like the defensive line Swiss Army knife. He can do pretty much anything that Matt Patricia's ever going to ask somebody to do. He was probably the best pick of last year's draft for the team. He's got the power to hold two gaps and the quickness to move out to the edge if he needs to, or he could break free on a slant. For the rest of the defensive ends, uh, the Lions added Trey Flowers, who was the best defensive end available in free agency. They paid him a giant amount of money on a very backloaded contract that uh, basically frees the team up to move on from this in the event that the Quinn-Patricia experiment doesn't work somehow, which is kind of nice. He's immediately an infinitely better scheme fit than Ziggy Anso was, and he's not nearly the injury risk. This guy does not miss games. In 2018, the Lions were actually near the middle of the pack in sacks. They were near the bottom of the league in pressures. The defensive line was a bunch of janitors waiting around to clean up a mess. Trey Flowers is a guy that makes the pocket really damn messy for a quarterback. He's perpetually among the league's leaders in pressures, and the Patriots' defense didn't have a lot of guys waiting to clean that mess up. This, however, is a marriage made in heaven. Romeo Okwara had a great year and then re-signed for a reasonable contract. When is the last time you heard that about a player for the Detroit Lions? Patricia's lost the locker room, huh? Only the parts of it that needed to go. It's a pretty short list. Uh, That's the two or three guys who will spend most of their time as a defensive end with their hand in the dirt. The rest of the Lions pass rushers are going to split their time between defensive end and four-man fronts and standing up as the jack linebacker and three-man fronts. Devon Kennard did a reasonable job in that role last season. He wasn't capable of being the guy on the right side who took the league's leading offensive tackles, but he's a solid second option who will take advantage of the chaos Flowers creates. Austin Bryant might be the steal of the draft. And I'm saying that as a person who didn't even put him on his Lions draft board because I didn't really like the fit. The hardest thing for any of us to do that do any kind of draft coverage is drop our baggage and reassess our thoughts on a player based on the context they get dropped into after the draft. If we assume that the archetype of what the Lions are looking for at the Jack linebacker spot is something like Devon Kennard, Bryant is a smart and versatile player with the ability to do a lot of things reasonably well, but nothing at an elite level. I also just described Devon Kennard. He gives you exactly what you already had, which is all you can ask of a depth player, and that's what Bryant's going to be as a rookie. Fellow rookie linebacker Jelani Tavai is a player I hope I am very wrong about. Players that get by on their smarts in college are not usually the kinds of players that succeed in the NFL. Tavai is a very smart player who seems to get by on anticipation and a fundamental understanding of what the offense is doing, 
and it gets him into the right place at the right time pretty often. He will also be the worst athlete on the field under 290 pounds for every snap he plays in the NFL, most likely. And that's never a good bet with a high pick, in my opinion. However, this could represent something of a market inefficiency. I'm going to briefly digress into a little bit of a history lesson here. In the 1990s, it looked like the 3-4 defense was on its way out of the league. The successful defenses were all running a 4-3. Linebackers started shrinking. That trend has continued to this day. Devin Bush would have been a safety in the 1990 draft and likely would have had a Pro Bowl career similar to that of Steve Atwater. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers found a way to utilize a different style of player. At the time, a 245-pound pass rusher was a pariah. Most teams would try to move them to strong side linebacker off the ball if they drafted them at all. That just wasn't big enough to stand up for 60 snaps on the edge of a 4-3 defense, and teams didn't roll through their depth chart like they do now. The Steelers' defense, however, was built on having two of those guys. Two guys no other team wanted on the field at all times. Because they were the only team that wanted those guys, they had no trouble getting them. Repeatedly, continuously, they didn't have to pay big dollars for them. They left in free agency constantly. The Steelers got performances out of players that draft Twitter, if it had existed at the time, would have absolutely roasted them for taking. For years, you'd hear things like, that's a Steeler linebacker, to describe players in the draft, and they'd always end up in Pittsburgh. The point here is that big, slow linebackers are the league's tweeners right now. The 250-260 to pound off-the-ball linebacker is no longer the norm. Even a decade ago, Tavai would have been a prototype strong side linebacker in a 4-3 defense, and would also have been considered for an inside role in a 3-4. He would have been the man coming off the field in obvious passing situations. On most teams in the current NFL, there is no spot for him on a defense, and he would languish as a special teamer until the first coaching change got him cut when they saw how unathletic he is. He lacks any kind of scheme versatility. If Patricia moves on while Tavai is here, he won't make it to training camp before he's looking for work. However, he does fit into a role with this defense, which is all that really matters to Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. I conceptually hate taking scheme-specific players in the draft this early because of the danger they represent in the future. It isn't Bob Quinn's job to worry about a future without Matt Patricia's defense, though. Another year of losing, after showing Jim Caldwell the door for only winning 9 or 10 games a year, will likely end both of their tenures in Detroit. Tavai will make an impact from day one as the third off-the-ball linebacker. He will spell both Gerard Davis and Christian Jones until he takes Jones's job at some point during the year. He will never be among the league's best coverage linebackers. He can't outthink every quarterback in the NFL all the time like he did in college. He needs to do that to win. He will be a solid run stuffer in a league that focuses farther from that every single season. He can also bring pressure as a blitzer and even hold the edge against lighter offensive formations. Devai has his uses, and it's only those like myself who do not believe that the value of those uses merits something more than a day three pick that dislike the Detroit Lions second round choice. He's a good player. Jared Davis is who he is. There are warts on his game. He doesn't make the right decision every time in coverage, but he does so more often than not. He occasionally takes a bad angle on a running play and gets caught up in traffic on his way to a runner, but he doesn't do it nearly as often as he used to. Davis has been better in the second half of both of his seasons as a pro. His second season picked up right where his first left off. He's going to be the line starting middle linebacker for a decade, and that's absolutely fine. They do not in any way need to upgrade that position. Christian Jones is another linebacker who performs every task at an acceptable level more often than not. The Lions have three linebackers capable of doing what they ask linebackers to do, and will only have two on the field in most cases. That is better depth than they had last year. Jalen Reeves-Maben is a likely camp cut in 2019. Steve Long is a lesser athlete than JRM, but he's the same kind of heavy-handed linebacker Patricia values, and he does a real good job on special teams. The team brought in several college free agents to threaten Reeves-Maben's spot at the bottom of the roster, and there's also the matter of Miles Killebrew, who appears to have fully moved over to the linebacker group from the safeties. 
I'd put forth that he and JRM are battling for a single roster spot as a special teams contributor, and I don't love Reeves Maven's chances. The Lions safety group has also seen some upheaval. Uh, they started the offseason by ditching Glover Quinn. He was a great player for the Lions under Caldwell's coaching staff, but even he said he was a bad fit for Patricia's defense. He was one of the Lions' best five for a nickel defense in 2018, but they needed to get better in 2019, and I think they have. Known quantities Quandre Diggs and Tavon Wilson, a perfectly serviceable pair of safeties should it come to that, returned to the Lions in 2019. Wilson had to take a pay cut to keep his job because of the added depth the Lions have. Diggs can play any role in the secondary but outside corner, and Wilson can man both safety spots but will likely be the team's third or fourth option this year. One of the reasons for that is Tracy Walker. The 2018 version of the Lions' annual third-round pick that makes all of the fans go, who? He looked ready for a larger role towards the end of the season, and he's a versatile weapon in the defensive backfield. Like Diggs, he can line up almost anywhere, and he's likely to be Quinn's replacement in the lineup. The first other addition that the Lions' safety group got was Andrew Adams. Last year, he made plays. Uh, He gets his hands on balls in a way the Lions have struggled to match in the last few seasons at the safety spot. He's on a one-year deal and will be gunning for Wilson snaps. The 2019 version of the Lions' third-round pick who makes fans go, who? And possibly in this case, why? Was Will Harris. The Lions were rolling four deep with legitimate NFL starting safety talent going into the draft, so why would they draft another one so high? Well, Harris is a rocket. When he sees his assignment and he hits, he hits hard. When he misses, it looks bad. Really, really bad. But the Lions will take a similar tack with Harris as they did with Walker. As a rookie... He'll have a relatively simple assignment until he proves he can handle more. Harris will play multiple special teams roles at a high level immediately like he did in college, and he can cover slot receivers as a nickel defensive back as well, which gives him spectacular scheme versatility, which is the theme of Matt Patricia's needs at safety. There are those who believe that the Lions may be eyeing an eventual move to corner full-time for Harris, but I don't see it. Both Adams and Wilson are free agents after this season, which will leave the Lions needing a third safety capable of filling numerous roles. Harris can become that. Getting a spectacular special teams contributor who played most of the team's defensive snaps after a season or two on the bench isn't bad value for the third round. Harris has a long way to go in order to become that player, though. Speaking of corners, what was Darius Slay's reaction to starting an offseason that sees him getting a $10 million raise in income year over year and the highest cap hit of any corner in the NFL? Why just skip the entire offseason program and a holdout for more money, of course? Slay's a top-tier corner, but he's not underpaid. Whereas Snacks can make the case that his value to the team far away is his cap hit, Slay really can't. As I said, it's the highest cap hit at his position. He's coming off a year in which he didn't put up the top-tier performance Lions fans are used to from him, because he was hurt a little bit. And as a corner, frankly, his job is not that complex, compared to a lot of jobs from a schematic perspective, that is. It's not by any means easy, but his job is more of a week-to-week preparatory job, studying the league's receivers. There's not a lot of reason to worry about him missing time. He's a pro. He's not going to come to work out of shape whenever he does come in. It's difficult to imagine the team beginning the season without Slay in the fold. They have all the cap space they need to make something work, and if they don't get something worked out, Slay would be saying no to $12.5 million if he didn't show up for work. There's no way that's going to happen. Slay's agent doesn't get paid if Darius Slay doesn't come to work. That's the thing we all need to remember here. The Lions added Justin Coleman. He was their biggest addition in the secondary by far. Uh, He's among the NFL's best nickel corners, and the team made him the highest-paid nickel corner in the NFL. In a previous stop in New England, Coleman spent the majority of his time on the outside in Patricia's defense, though. He's capable on the outside, but inside is where he's a really special player, worth the money that they paid him. The Lions, of course, run a nickel the vast majority of the time. The Lions also added Rashawn Melvin to the roster. He's an outside corner by trade, coming off a bad year in Oakland. He's looking to reclaim his career on a one-year deal with the team and should fit into the scheme relatively well. 
the Lions also drafted Amani Oruwarie yes, with their fifth-round pick. He was celebrated by draft Twitter for the entire offseason. So the question becomes, did the Lions get the steal of the draft? Or are NFL scouts just better than draft Twitter? He's got all the physical tools you'd put into a Madden prospect. Time will tell whether he's going to translate that into being a good football player. It's unlikely that he'll matter for the immediate fortune of the team, though. One player who does matter a great deal in this season is Tease Tabor. He's doing really well in the offseason program, and that's all we can ask for at this point because that's all that's happening. Tabor taking a big step in his third year is the difference between the Lions having a serviceable corner group and a very good one. Basically, if he can get it done as the number two corner long-term for this team, they're in a very good spot with him, Coleman, and Slay. Jamal Agnew's career started with a bang. He was an all-pro return man in his rookie year, but he had a few injury issues in year two. He has a lot more competition for a roster spot in this season than he has in the past, and he'll have to mature as a defensive back to take a role. If he doesn't, Mike Ford will probably take his spot. Ford's a bit of a divisive figure among the Lions fan base, because before the league got tape on him, he played really well. After a few games, he got exposed, completely and repeatedly. He's a solid athlete, and at this point, he's got every bit as much of a chance to make the team as Agnew. On defense, the defensive line got better. The linebackers got better. The safeties probably stayed about the same quality in the scheme, and the corners look like they've probably taken a step forward as long as Slay shows up. So when people say that the line stayed the same while the rest of the division got better, that's ridiculous. The Packers shuffled a lot of pieces in the offseason, and they look like they are going to be a better team. But there's already signs of frictions between the genius head coach and the veteran quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has already gotten one coach fired. Remember when the Vikings won the offseason last year, and then won five fewer games than they did in 2017? Well, they're bringing back, frankly, a little bit lesser of a roster than they had that year. Who, who knows? Maybe we'll see the reverse be true. And the Bears. No matter what else the Bears do, they've got a garbage quarterback that they need to succeed in spite of, not because of. And they're not going to be the healthiest team in the NFL again. Every other team in the NFC North took a significant step back in 2018, and the Bears took advantage. The Bears are a mirage. I'm not saying the road to a division title is easy. That would be ridiculous. But the Lions got better at almost every position. They didn't get worse at any. They also only won six games last year. So it comes down to, will they win eight? Will they win nine and squeak into the playoffs? Frankly, I don't see 14 or anything nice like that. I don't see a Super Bowl run. But there is plenty of reason for hope in Detroit this season. This has been a terrible episode of the Detroit Lions podcast.